0: <laughs>
1: oh my god i am so so excited i'm over here with somebody that you know it's i look up to this man is the legend mr frank Schowitz in the house co-founder of make a wish foundation you know speaker consultant mentor coach just a legendary someone that i really look up to that inspires me you know, and every time, you know, I mean, that I feel like giving up, that I feel like tired, that I feel, if I feel lazy, man, I just, I think about you, Frank, and all the amazing things, you know, that you've done, and you just, you know, somebody that's out there, man, that's constantly pushing, raising the ball, and, you know, I heard that you just retired as a badass detective, you know, after <laughs> four decades, and, you know, and you build something amazing man. as you were out there you know I heard that you also you were in the Air Force you were honorably discharged and then you know I heard that you've been at the, retired as a detective and at the same time that you did all this you build one of the greatest and biggest you know nonprofits foundations in the world man make-a-wish foundation I mean talk about this Frank I mean did you ever think of it bro like that one day you were going to build something this big. And let us know a little bit about this this whole story because so many people out there, they give up so fast or they say, oh, I don't have time or I can never accomplish anything because I have my job. You had several jobs, you were on board of advisors and you were building this magical thing. So let us know and talk a little bit about that, my friend.
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, Carlos, thank you for inviting me to be on your show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, it just wasn't me for this make-wish idea. I had an idea that made it happen. But just going real briefly back to how this all started, uh, in the late 70s, I was a motorcycle officer with the Arizona Highway Patrol. And during this period, there was a TV show on NBC called Chips, which starred uh, Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada. And the show was about two California Highway Patrol motorcycle officers and their adventures. Extremely popular show, top ratings. But especially the kids loved it. They love watching the motorcycles and the adventures of Ponch and John. And I was on a ten-man squad that worked the whole state of Arizona. And as we would, when this show became so popular, we'd ride into a town, two-man team all the time. And all of a sudden, the kids are waving and yell, "Hey Ponch, hey John!" Because our motorcycles and our equipment looked, our uniforms almost identical to California Highway Patrol. In fact, we did our initial training with CHP up in the Sacramento, except yes. ours, obviously, said Arizona. So we just started saying if we could go to our off time to the schools, the grade schools, and talk about bicycle safety, which the kids could care less about. They just wanted to get on a motorcycle. But it was a great PR tool, <clears throat> just a good PR tool. And uh, in 1980, uh, our department, the Highway Patrol, was informed about a little bit seven-year-old boy named Chris. Chris had terminal leukemia and only a couple of weeks to live. His family said Chris's wish, and that's the first time we ever heard that word, was someday to be a motorcycle officer like Punch and John, and he would love to meet a Highway Patrol motorcycle officer. And our department set it up, and I just happened to be the guy that Chris was gonna meet because of my reputation of working with the kids all over the state of Arizona. Now, Carlos, I had no idea what to expect. I I knew this little boy's in the hospital, he's on IVs. Our uh, state police helicopter is gonna pick him up at his hospital, the paramedics and pilots are gonna fly him to our headquarters building where I'm gonna be standing by to meet this little boy. And I thought they're gonna bring him out on a stretcher, a wheelchair, I have no idea. The helicopter lands, the door opens, and out flies this little pair of red sneakers attached to this little boy, running over to the motorcycle. Hi, I'm Chris. And he is just, he's just eyes are wide as can be. As far as he's thinking, he's looking at Ponch or John from the show Chips. Uh, because at the time I had red hair and very tan, so I could have been either character. <laughs> <laughs> but this little boy is all over the motorcycle and he's and he watches so much. He said, These are the red lights. Can I turn it on? These are the flashers. This is the siren. What's in the saddlebags is the same as Ponch has in his. He knew everything about that motorcycle. From watching that show and I'm looking over his mother and she's crying and, and I, then I can't understand why why is she crying this little boy is having so much fun then it dawned on me he's come off IVs in hospital beds and he's being now a typical seven-year-old having so much fun I asked him if he wanted to go ride on a motorcycle in the parking lot which we were allowed to do in those days and he got very very serious and nervous Carlos and he's well no his voice shaking and I said, well, you just rode in a helicopter. How come you don't want to ride a motorcycle? And he said, helicopters have doors. <laughs> we, learned, we learned that doors were very important to Chris. And just then one of our sergeants came up in a patrol car and said, you want to help drive that? Of course he did. He got on the sergeant's lap because it had doors. And he's riding around the parking lot. And he's blowing, chewing bubblegum and blew this big, giant bubble. And I looked over to his mother and I said, there's our bubblegum trooper. In fact, she wrote a book titled that, and I think it's still available on Amazon, The Little Bubblegum Trooper. Wow. But Chris went on that day to become the first and only honorary highway patrol motorcycle officer in the history of the highway patrol. Now, this is going on now, 39 years ago, Uh, complete with a custom-made uniform we had made for him, his own badge that was assigned to him, the smoky hat. And the most important thing to him was the motorcycle wings because he was now a motorcycle officer. I got word uh, Chris got to go home that night. His doctor was up and said, I don't understand. His vitals are so good. Let's let him go home to his comfort zone instead of back in the hospital. I get a call two days later. Chris is in the hospital in a coma. He's probably not going to survive the day. I got permission to go to the hospital. I walk in. His uniform is hanging right by his bed. I'm rubbing the motorcycle wings on his uniform. And just as I'm doing that, he comes out of a coma. He looks at me and he says, I am official motorcycle officer now, aren't I? It said, yes, you are, Chris. He just smiled, started giggling, asked for his uniform. He's rubbing the wings, showing his mother. And a couple hours later, he passed away. I always like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. What wow. we learned, our commanders learned that Chris is going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois. And they asked me and another motorcycle officer to go back and give him a full police funeral. Commander said, we have lost a fellow officer, which we did. We went back to Kiwani, and the word got out about what we're doing. And we were met at this little town of Kiwani by Illinois State Police, County Police, City Police, who all wanted to give this little boy a full police funeral. Chris was buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But Flying back to Arizona, Carlos, I just started thinking, here's a little boy who had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea of the Make-A-Wish Foundation was born. Wow, man. That's amazing. You know, Frank,
1: you know, as you were talking about this, man, I was just, you know, I was thinking about my father, man. Uh, My father, you know, before he passed, you know, I was only three months old. He died in a horrible car explosion in Brazil, you know, growing up in the uh, early 80s. I was only three months old. And after work, you know what I mean? I, I just love, you know, hearing amazing stories like this. It's because, you know. He would find the time, you know, even though, like, you are seeing yourself, right? Just done so much, you know, Air Force, detective work, you start this nonprofit. And it reminds me of him because he was, you know, going through two jobs, managing a bank, uh, going to, uh, not two jobs, two schools, two college degrees, managing a bank, having me as a baby. And he still find time after work and he will go around the dumpsters in town. And he, because people couldn't afford their babies, their kids, and they would drop them near the dumpsters because they couldn't afford them. So my father would go at nighttime, pick up those babies, bro, out of the dumpsters, and he would take them to churches, to shelters, and he would go and recruit more people, you know, to do the same, you know, to go help, you know, go not only pick up those kids, bring them to shelters and to churches, and they would teach them how to, you know, play the guitar, the acoustic, martial arts. And I just love love nonprofit stuff and it, it just it just fires me up and it's such an honor to have you here on the show my friend and you know speaking of this like right, for somebody out there that wanted to build you know like a nonprofit or they wanted to do more let's talk about you know this before the whole you know like doing this process right that you wanted to make you saw this wish be uh, being a reality that we guys made it for Chris which is amazing And let's talk about the challenges, you know what I mean? What is the biggest challenges that you had in building this before you became famous, before the company took off, before the big, you know, sponsors came in? Let's talk a little bit about the challenges and what did it make you keep it going, uh, my friend?
0: Well, the the biggest challenge was finding people that uh, agreed with that idea. Uh, My thing was the Make-A-Wish Foundation. What we're going to do is grant wishes to, and this was then Terminal Children. Because none of these children were surviving. The mission was changed several years ago to children with life threatening illnesses. Because, fortunately, through the grace of God and modern medicine, more and more children are surviving after yeah. the wish. But I said, trying to find other people, the, the people, the, the officers that were involved, everybody said, no, this won't work. Business leaders that I had known through my connections, nobody's ever heard of this. This idea is not going to work. And I learned a long time ago from a gentleman that uh, was my father figure back in a little town called Seligman, uh, Juan Delgadillo, he said, never give up, always turn those negatives to a positive. And then another word I learned uh, was stickability. I learned that from Greg Reed. <laughs> Don't give up, stick to what you're doing. And it's, I it four months. In Arizona for the Corporation Commission, we had to have a total of five board members to start a nonprofit. And once we finally got those on board, then the next thing, there's no internet during these days. Uh, the next thing is going to the library. How do you start a nonprofit? What are the requirements for Internal Revenue Service, et cetera, et cetera? And that took a lot of research. And like you said, I'm working full time. I'm trying to put this together full time. But it took me six months, and we did become official in November of 1980. Wow. Now, again, where do we get the money? I started working every off-duty job I could get to put the money into the foundation to get it going. Um, and the same with the other people who were helping me because we never took a salary. I never took a salary for make a I wanted everything to go into the foundation. Yeah, that's what I love about you. But the smartest thing we did, once we got going on this, the public had never heard of anything like this. Um, and the donations literally started coming in what I call the mom and pop dollars, the yeah. $5, the $10, the 25 That was a lot of money back in 1980. Oh, yes. But the biggest thing was, again, nobody had ever heard of it being like this. And uh, NBC Dateline did a feature story on us uh, about 1981 or two, which just made the foundation explode. All of a sudden, we're getting letters from all over the United States. How do I start a chapter in my state in my state? Now, the biggest thing, Carlos, that our board made a decision on was we're not experts in the nonprofit field. We're grassroots novices. And you learn in college, always surround yourself with people smarter than you and, and somebody that knows more than you do. And that was a decision we made was the first time hire somebody in a nonprofit world to make this foundation grow, which obviously through the years they have. Now you asked me, did I ever foresee this is gonna be worldwide? After our first official wish in 1980, seven year old boy uh, named Bopsi Salazar, that was his nickname, his first name was Frankie, and he got a kick out of that because I've been known as Pancho my whole life. So he got a kick his first name. And we sent him to Disneyland, and again, the press just exploded on this. And when he came back, and unfortunately, he passed away a few weeks later, but I told our board someday we're we'll going to be national, international, granting wishes all over the world. And they all laughed at me and said, uh uh-uh. uh, well, just what you said <laughs> earlier, look what's <laughs> happened. We're, we're in 63 chapters of the United States, 36 international chapters on five continents. And you just pointed out almost a half a million wishes have been granted just because of that one little boy that wanted to be a motorcycle officer. Yes,
1: man. That's just, it's, you know, it's amazing. And it's like, you know, you touched on a few points there, like, you know, like a true master, he's always thinking as a beginner, right? Constantly learning and seeking to surround themselves with others, you know what I mean. They are smarter than them, doing bigger things. And one thing that I'm always talk about is the how to create better, faster, and newer conversations. And then I'm always speaking around the world about this topic, which is which you basically did. You're like, okay, how can I, you know, get this thing going? You were working forty hours, you know what I mean. And then you know, being a police officer, I have many friends, you know what I mean. They are police officers and detectives. You know, my family in Brazil, the military people. You know, and uh, I wasn't even telling myself when I was younger. So, you know how stressful it is, you know what I mean? Throughout the day, you have to deal with all that. So, a lot of negativity, and you also touch on another point, which is go from negative into positive. One of my quotes that I always used to say, you know, when I was seven years old, I went through a lot of physical and mental abuse, and, you know, I, I don't want to live anymore. And But God's spoken with me. Whenever I'm on stage, I talk about this being the whispers from God. And then when he spoke with me, he said, you know what, kid? Somebody out there on the street still have worse than you. You might be physically and mentally abused right now, but and, uh, you know you don't have the money. You might only have rice to eat. And I know that you've been beaten by your grandfather and your stepfather. And you, you don't have control out of what you're trying to help you. I wanted to help my mom leave the hood, give her a better future. But God said, you know what? Your future doesn't equal your past unless if you carry on those stories with you. Transform your negatives into positive, and watch the magic happens.
0: Those, okay. you are- and, and also, you mentioned God. And I'm I'm glad you said that because one thing I left out. In 1978, I was involved with a high-speed chase with a drunk driver on my motorcycle, and another drunk driver pulled right in front of me. I couldn't break and escape. I hit him broadside at 80 miles an hour. As pronounced dead at the scene, my wow. partner tried to revive me. He couldn't. They called in the code the officer killed in the line of duty. And off duty, emergency room nurse from California stopped and insisted she try and work on me. And after four minutes, she obviously brought me back to life. But it took almost six months to recover from the accident. Skull fracture, traumatic brain injury. And I had to do a lot of counseling during that period. And when you mentioned God, towards the end of that, the counselor said to me, God spared you for a reason. And you have to find out what that reason is. And then two years later, I was introduced to this little boy. So I just believe God intervened in all of this. Yes, man. I mean,
1: it's something that I, I, every time and even when I'm speaking, it's like you got to put God first and just having the faith, guys. Just like somebody like Frank that it started from nothing. Like you guys know me. I always love to have self-made people here in the show because those are inspirational stories to show, you know, you the listener out there that anything is possible. Oh, you know, you probably hear all the time of oh, most foundations, they are not successful. Why? It's because people, they quit. It's so easy to quit. But you know, when you put God first, when you trust God and you're having faith, there's something that you believe, you guys heard me say the same days on the other show, you know, you, you gotta know when you do you know your why and you go deep enough, and then I mean and you know that's possible, and like just the experience and then going let's you know, even th- let's talk about rejections because you know, one thing every time that I feel rejected, you know, growing <laughs> up, you know, even from selling bread on the streets of Brazil, for you guys that know my story, you know, sold bread eleven years, age seven to eighteen to come to America. I get I'll have to have a lots of no's, but whenever I hear the word no, I would say next. So let's talk about some rejections, uh, Frank, you know what I mean? Because, you know, even though I always tell people, man, even when you reach the top, it is, you know, that's when this stuff really begins, you know what I mean? Like, and as you, know, you know what I'm talking about? We still, you know, you know, face rejection. We have a lot of politics it involves in you know, nonprofits, and let's talk about a moment. You know what I mean? That you you wanted to get something, you know, and you were going like you saw the company, you know, moving, and you like man, you just tired, stressed out, and you being rejected, left and up. Let's talk about something crazy that you did. Like doing, as I always talk about, right? Doing what others don't do, can do, and won't think about. And uh, I heard something about Disney. <laughs> you yeah. know, so <clears throat> let's tell a little bit about this. Is this Disney story? <laughs>
0: um. I'm going to tell you the first rejection didn't happen. I mentioned a little boy named Bobsey that wanted to go to Disneyland. And this is our first official wish. This is in 1981. And her secretary kept calling Disney and saying, we're the Make-A-Wish Foundation, what we would like. We've got a seven-year-old boy, terminal leukemia. We'd like to get free admission into the uh, park. And also, if he could get in the front of the lines. He's very ill. He's like in a wheelchair. Now, Disney had never heard of us. They had no idea. And they get requests like this all the time. I understand that. And she said, just please let me talk to the director of public relations. And they, no, they just, I'm sorry, he's busy. And she came to me and she said, just what you said, they're rejecting <laughs> us, they won't let us talk to them. And I said, okay, let, let me call over there. So I did call Disney and they said, who is this? And I said, this is Officer Frank Shank with the Arizona Highway Patrol. And right away, I kind of got the secretary's attention. She said, what is this about? And I said, I have a warrant for one of your people. Well, guess who I got to talk to, Carlos? <laughs> but the minute, the minute I got the gentleman on the phone, I said, I just lied to you. Here's my name. Here's my badge number. Here's my supervisor's name and telephone number. All you have to do is call him, and I will be terminated immediately. But will you please listen to my story? He did listen. And now, 38-some years later, Disney being one of the biggest sponsors, literally millions and millions and millions of dollars. And sometimes you have to lie a little bit, but I always say, qualify that lie as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got creative,
1: man. And I appreciate it because, you know, one thing that I appreciate about you, Frank, because you know, the integrity, right? Integrity is everything, you know, like you did a, as I call a white lie, you know, it's like, like a baby lie, you know, as, as my daughter says, <laughs> and, and, but you know what I mean? But you were honest about, you put it in the game, like you face your fear because what if that person would called, then your job would be terminated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd be tired. I'd be yeah. You know, and I admire that of you because you did something like the unthinkable, right? It's, I always tell people, if that's a will, that is a way. People all the time, oh, they give up. You know, things are flying over here everywhere. It's all good. We're not editing. We keep it going. But you know what I mean? It's like things will happen. Just like right now, things are flying over here in my studio. <laughs> it is all good. You keep it going. In life, things are going to happen against your expectations. Things, you're going to be rejected. And you, you're going to have to face, you're going to get into situations where, like, you know, because imagine to, even to try to raise a whole lot more money to bring those kids into Disney if they wouldn't fund that. But you literally went against above and beyond the comfort zone. Which is one thing that I'm always I always tell people It's like, number one thing that you want to do just to see this set goal, daily goals to go above and beyond the comfort zone. And number two, master self talk, and then keep going. Right, doing what others don't do, can do, and won't think of doing. I just I just love their story. And then Frank, you know, I know that you have so many inspirational stories. You know, and you and uh, you know, I know that you and Robin Williams have something in common, which is you guys are big in uh, making the wishes of kids coming through. And this is something that, you know, Robin used to do. It, as I always talk about this on stage, it's like, what are you doing at the end of the day that nobody's talking about? What are you doing that you are not promoting? What are you doing that you are not putting out there? When well, at the end of the day, is just between you and God, you know what I mean, you in four walls. And that is, this is something that Robin, you know, used to do and then he didn't expose to the media, you know what I mean? To so after his pass, it became exposed and, and this, and talk about about their story, man. The 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 wish that he made, you know, for the little girl. You know what I mean? It's just.
0: Rob, Robin Williams was very involved in Make a Wish, but he never wanted the publicity. He never wanted his name associated with something that he helped do. And a lot of families also don't want anything because it's very private between them. But my favorite story, of Robin Williams, he lived in the San Francisco area, and for the San Francisco area, there was a little girl who had a wish that she wanted to meet the beast from Beauty and the Beast. And this is one that was on the stage play from New York, was now traveling the country. And in fact, we're coming to San Francisco. And the chapter was going to arrange for this little girl to meet the Beast. However, she got extremely, extremely ill. And while the show was on, she just couldn't do it. The day the show left, she could actually finally get up out of the hospital and go, but obviously the show was gone. Robin Williams heard about this and he said to the Chapter. just let me handle this. About a week later, he says, I'm going to have this little girl picked up in a limousine. I'm going to pick her up. I'm going to take her to the theater where Beauty and the Beast have played. And the little girl's excited. At least she gets to see the stage. It's just him and her. They go inside on a stage. They've got that little solo stage light there. And he says, this is where the Beast, so on. And uh, he said, um, you know what, I can hum the theme song for Beauty and the Beast, can I have the dance with you, as the Beast would do. So he's dancing with a little girl It's part of her wish to meet and dance with the Beast, and then all of a sudden there's music in the background, orchestration type music, and he keeps dancing with her, then somebody taps him on the shoulder, and it's the Beast, now dancing with this little girl. Now the house lights start coming on, and it shows the full orchestra is in the orchestra pit. The full stage lights come on, the full cast and settings from the Beauty and the Beast are now in place. The whole house lights come on, and the place is packed just with people clapping and cheering on. Robin Williams had arranged for all this himself and paid for everything, but you will never read about it anywhere because that's a personal thing that he wanted to give to the child. What a man. What a gentleman. Wow. What a loss to us. Yes, man. I love, you know, Robin,
1: Man, just an amazing and, you know, this is two amazing things, you know what I mean, that you guys have in common to helping the kids out there. And I tell everyone out there, man, it's just like, just whatever is that thing that you dream. I know it's a nice sock right now, you know, you probably, you know, if you are out of money and piloting debt, and you don't think that is hope, just know that is hope. Know that somebody out there has worse than you. You know what I mean? Um, Whenever I make some trips to Africa and the little kids, they come to me with their list. (laughs) uh, And then their top wish is like a toothbrush, you know? And then most people, they take it for granted, a toothbrush. So then they come.
0: You said that. And and some people think the wishes are so extravagant. We've had wishes where a little boy wants a basketball. You mentioned shoes. Another little girl wants some shoes. Uh, A television set, a computer. Not, Not everything is extravagant like that. In fact, the majority are just something very simple.
1: Yes, no, man, I love that. And and Frank, let, let's say if you know, I I drop you at a country you know that they speak English, so you don't have to learn another language, <laughs> and you have to start it from scratch. You know what I mean? And why would so, just tell the listeners somebody out there that w- w- have maybe they their wish is to start a foundation, and they wanted to build you know something amazing and, and to give it back. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the biggest, either one or three advices that you would give to someone to start it from scratch, to try to get, you know, to create momentum and to get to the end result? This is a question that I used to ask as a little kid, and I used to sell bread on the streets of Brazil. I would go to the local business owners, and I would ask them, tell me one, two, three things that if I wanted to do what you do, uh, where what should I start so that I can you know try to get to the end result quicker? Even though I'm not talking about quicker overnight, I'm talking about you know instead of taking you know, decades, maybe you know five, six, seven years versus thirty, forty, fifty. You know what I mean? What's the biggest advice that you would do if you would have to start it over again? Maybe one to three to three things that you would focus on.
0: Well, the biggest thing is whatever your mission has to be, it has to be something that's acceptable that the public will just. There's so many like type foundations out there. Uh, so it's gotta be something unique, something the public is gonna look at and say, wow, look at this, look what this guy or gal is trying to do or this group, something would really fit. Once you get the public interest, the biggest thing is to get the press on your side. And, and uh, again, make a wish, the press had never heard of anything like this. So immediately we got newspaper coverage, television coverage, uh, just radio coverage, interviews. But the press is your biggest, your biggest asset to get to, and it'd be so simple. I have a gentleman down in the Phoenix, Arizona area that wanted to help the homeless, uh, especially in the um, summertime, with the water, with food, with everything else, temporary shelters. And I suggested we get on the press. The press loved it, especially in the homeless again in the summertime in the heat, and picked it up. This gentleman is doing so great on his foundation, and he's not taking a salary yet. Yeah, yes, man, there's that integrity thing. Once I really get this build up, he said, then I'll start taking the salary. And there's nothing wrong with taking a salary in nonprofit. You've got to have overhead expenses. You've got to hire the people, the CFOs, the CEOs and so on to really make your foundation grow once it gets going boom. Yes. Now, I'm a firm believer that. <clears throat> And that's why I normally don't talk much
1: about foundations, but I, yours is just like, I'm, I'm in love with this. I'm always looking to add value, you know, just especially, you I know that you and I, we are friends, but in beyond that, it's just, uh, I just love, you know, your mission what you are behind. And it's such an honor to have you here, Frank. I know that we are almost time. I wish we have, I know that you and I have so many crazy stories. We can go on all day. But here. My last question to close out this amazing show and interview my friend and is less day on earth, What would you write down?
0: i'm sorry say that again it's the
1: last day on earth what would you write it down one or two sentences the
0: last day of america
1: last day on earth oh what would you write it
0: down thank you thank you god what a life you've given me yes simple as that
1: yes no man i really appreciate it my friend that's like everything every every day you know as i start my day you know it's all my thank you Thank you for this amazing day. One more day. Thank you for having an opportunity, right, for one more day here. I'm thankful to you for being here. I'm thankful that we woke up today to do this interview. You know what I mean? uh, That's amazing. That's what it takes, right? Thank you. But my friend, thank you so much. And Frank, uh, where can they, you know, I know you have an amazing movie coming up. That's what we wish we'd have more time to talk about this. But that was one wish that you always been making all these wishes being granted. And one of your wishes was to you know have it a movie because you know through the power of entertainment we can get this message to over a billion people, and w- when, where they can hear more about this movie, The Wish Man. Maybe we have you on the show you know a few months from now, so whenever the movie is the, before the the movie is out, so that we can get it to even more people. Where they can you know hear see more about this, uh, they can see more about you, where they can get a hold of you.
0: Well, you can go to my website, one dot com. Wishman1.com, and there's, uh, we're keeping up to date on the movie. The movie just completed post-production uh, two weeks ago now, and we have uh, meetings with distributors in another two weeks to see if somebody, in fact, is going to buy this movie and get it into the theaters. Um, you can also go to my Facebook page, just Frank Shanklitz, friend me, or Frank Shanklett's public figure, and uh, we've got all the information about the movie on there also. And then uh, my book has just been re-released wish man and uh, it'll be on amazon available about another week uh, awesome. a new new publisher and we've kind of added some new stories and having a lot of fun with it
1: yeah and i'm looking forward i'm reading that one my friend and then uh, if they wanted to add value uh, contribute to your foundation frank where can they go
0: for the make a wish foundation go to wish.org wish.org and we'll give up in a, one of the corners a chapter locator you can put your zip code in there and we'll take you to anywhere in the United States or world for that matter, uh, where your local chapter is. Oh, that's awesome. My friend! No, Frank, thank you so much, Frank.
1: What an amazing, amazing interview, my friend. I'm looking forward to you know, seeing you again on this show. And then uh, for everyone out there who is listening, make this day epic. Have an amazing day, everybody. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Until the next time. Hey, Carlos, thank you. Thank you, sir.